Thank you very much. You may be seated. So great to be back. Uh, how is everyone going? We good? Are we awake? On this great winter morning in Mount Clear. Uh, always love coming back and uh, being a part of seeing just what God's doing amongst you. And um, thank you so much for that um, warm welcome. And uh, I've... Um, been a little bit busy. It's been a, an interesting year. Unfortunately, my um, uh, 59-year-old mother passed away on Mother's Day weekend this year, and uh, she was an evangelist for uh, the movement that she was a part of. And so the last few months have been quite tough for our family as we've navigated uh, that season. And many of you know what it's like to lose a loved one and have to navigate that journey. But you know what? In the midst of that, God has been so faithful. He's been so good. And so many uh, things have come out of that. At her funeral, uh, 750 people turned up to her funeral and 43 people made first-time decisions to follow Jesus uh, at, around her coffin. Uh, they came and they responded. And so, you know, in the midst of death, there is incredible life. And if you've concluded that something in your life is dead, it's gone, it's too far gone, I want to tell you, God, as we've been singing, He's a God of the resurrection. As we heard in the communion, He's a, he's a God of life. And uh, today I believe that He wants to breathe life into us here um, together. Uh, just in worship, um, uh, this hadn't come to me before worship, but in worship, this phrase from the scriptures came to me, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I believe that there's something significant in that for this church. Um, I believe that God is actually morphing you and, and bringing you into um, a, a pattern of ministry that's uh, characterized by a house of prayer. Now, we understand that every church should be a house of prayer. We understand that every church should be a house of worship, as should every church be a house of evangelism and a house that cares and pastors and heals people. But I believe that there is a unique pattern that's happening in this place where God is actually bringing a transformation about and is actually imprinting you with a unique DNA as a prayerful people. I want you to begin to really um, understand this because some of you may not be there yet, but some of you are there. Um, some of you will get there um, and others will come that will carry that heart DNA, but also others will come because of God's work in raising you up as a house of prayer. Uh, there's a rawness about the spirituality of this church that you don't see everywhere you go. I preach in a whole bunch of places, but what I love about coming here is it's so raw uh, in terms of passion for God, love for God, worship. And I think that there is um, often in churches a tension, this isn't my message by the way, this is for free, okay, there is a tension between uh, the call to intimacy and the call to mission. There's a tension that exists between prayer and evangelism, between what we do outside of the house and what we do inside the house. And I can see at that time, at times, there has been a tension there in the house. But what I believe that God is wanting you to do is to position prayer in this house as a house of prayer, as a means of engagement with the community. And I believe he's going to begin to show you over the coming months what that looks like. It's beyond just prayer evangelism. Um, it includes uh, like prayer rooms or healing rooms. It includes prayer gatherings. Um, but I really saw that God was going to lead your leaders and different members of this church into almost a, a role of influence where you begin to lead prayer at civic and community events and where you become recognized as if you want prayer and prayer that works, go to this place. Now, about three people are excited about that. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> but it, 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 it's almost like there is going to be a reputation that's built in your city for maybe not the stuff that's characterized generations ago as good or as bad as that might have been. And I'm sure most of it was good. But I believe that God is going to raise you up as a house of prayer where people are going to come and receive prayer and get answers to the genuine problems and issues and challenges that they're facing in their lives. 
And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, well, I don't know how that's going to happen because I'm not very prayerful, well, then this is an opportunity for you to start to engage in your prayer life. Because if this is a unique um, grace and anointing that's on this house, then guess what? You become a recipient of that grace and you can begin to access that grace. If you've been finding prayer difficult, right now I want to say to you, um, as of this moment, by God's grace, you don't need to find prayer difficult anymore in your life. You just it's, it's, an, it's a decision of faith. It's an act of faith. And there is a shift that is happening in this room right now as a result of the revealed Word of God around prayer. He wants you to be a house of prayer, not just for a few Aussies, but for all nations. For people of every colour and every race in this city and out of the overflow, we're hearing about Mel talk about, Pastor Mel talk about the overflow, out of the overflow of prayer, lives are going to be changed in this city. Stories and testimonies are going to multiply and abound. And not everyone will get it. Not everyone will understand it. But every church, while every church has certain ingredients about it, as revealed in the Word of God and as practiced in in church life, every church also has a unique DNA about it. And there's a unique DNA that God is wanting you to explore, study, read, express uh, in a greater capacity and way as you begin to see the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in this church, in your life and through this city. Um. So let's just pray into that. Father, I just thank you right now. If you're with me, maybe just raise your hand in the air. If you say, yeah, my spirit witnesses with that. Father, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that there would be a witness and a sense of agreement in our hearts right now, Father, that this is a house of prayer for all nations. And Lord, it is many other things as well. But Father, I ask that the DNA of prayer would become rampant, would be just break out in this place, in all of its forms, in all of its expressions, that we would be a prayerful people and that Father, we would witness breakthrough after testimony, after changed life, after story after story of people's lives being turned around by the power of your spirit and the power of a praying believer. Father, I just pray let prayer become a part of a deep DNA, unique imprint of this house. Raise this house up in this city as a house of prayer for all nations. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Now, I want you to turn your Bible with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as you're going there, um, one of the things that um, I love to do is encourage people. And one of the ways that I do that is through writing books. And so I brought um, several copies of a book that I wrote back in 2008. It's uh, republished it recently. It's called Prophetic Vision. And it's all about you uh, capturing a sense of God's vision for your life. And how does that work? How do you move from a place that's invisible in terms of the vision in your heart and mind to the visible, living that out in your life? And uh, I want to encourage you, if you're interested in equipping yourself in that area, then make sure that you avail yourself of a copy of that. And I, w- I want to give this to someone today who ha- encouraged me, and I want to encourage them. So I want to give this to you for sharing the communion today, because you did a fantastic job. Well done. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, and I would add, and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I want to speak to you this morning about power shift. A power shift. Now, 
One of life's greatest lessons for me is watching my kids mirror back to me my poor behaviour. And I just don't think that's allowed, all right? God is not allowed to use my kids as a discipleship tool in my life to help me become more like Jesus. But apparently God didn't get the memo and apparently God does what he wants. And so... Um, uh, for me, my wife would often tell me that uh, she sees my poor behavior in my kids and, and, and sometimes blames me for that, and that's cool. Um, and, and, and what I often see, particularly in my youngest son, Joshua, is uh, this incredible stubbornness and where he wants to do everything himself. Are there any parents in the room who have kids who want to do everything themselves? Or am I the only poor father that need, needs to go to fathering school to work out how we work out with rebellious kids? So I've got three amazing kids. Uh, and my youngest, Joshua, is eight years of age. And uh, at five years of age, he decided he wanted to do everything by himself. And it generally started with breakfast in the morning. And so Joshua would go to uh, the cupboard and he'd pull out the cereal box and he would, uh, I'd say, son, do you need help with that? No, dad, I'll be fine. And he ends up pouring the whole cereal box into the bowl. And then he goes to the fridge and he gets the milk and, son, do you need help with that? And he misjudges the weight transference of the milk into the bowl and all of a sudden uh, we're swimming in pure light start. And so uh, we're now, we're now got a kitchen floor filled with cereal, we're filled with uh, uh, milk. The other day he was feeding the fish and he emptied the entire bottle of fish food into the fish bowl. True story. And uh, literally the, the, the fish thought it was Christmas and their birthday and Easter all rolled into one. They're just rampantly going crazy until I remembered that the greatest number one killer of goldfish is feeding them too much fish food. And uh, one of them was floating at the end of that whole episode. And, and, and so I'm running around the house going, what do we do? I started to panic. I generally panic in those situations. My wife goes, clean the fish bowl. Brilliant idea, I said. So we went and go and clean the fish bowl. And so basically, I'm getting frustrated at my son who wants to do everything himself when as his dad, I come to him and say, son, I can help you with that. Whatever it is that you need, I can help you with that. And as, and as I'm getting frustrated with my son, I hear the Spirit of God say to me, Corey, that's just like you. I come to you and I say, I can help you with that problem. I can help you with that project. I can help you with that issue. I can help you in that relationship. I can help you navigate these series of decisions. And you say to me, it's all right, God, I've got it covered. I can do this all by myself. And what we don't realize is many of us are wondering where the power of God is. Do you ever wonder to yourself where the power of God is? We sing He's a God of miracles. We talk about Him being a God of miracles. But do you ever wonder where the miracles are? Or is that just me? And I'm the preacher. But every now and then, I actually wonder. We talk about it. We sing about it. But where is it actually found? And what we don't realise is God's power is found at the end of your stubbornness. And we don't realize that the more stubborn we are, the more we cut off the supply line of God's power. And we sing it and we speak it and we want it, but we don't realize we've got to surrender it in order to come into what it is that we're singing and talking about. And the pathway to true power in God's kingdom is actually a paradox to the world's approach to power. The world says, the spirit of this age says, you ascend into power. You sort of take steps. You climb the ladder of power. But the kingdom of God says you descend into power. You take steps downward into true spiritual power. We see this in the contrast between Lucifer and Jesus. The prophet Isaiah records Satan's quest for supreme power in Isaiah 14.12. It says that Lucifer said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol. 
In other words, Satan, Lucifer, is, has, has this attitude that says, I will ascend. I will be like the Most High God. You contrast Jesus' response in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And the interesting thing is, Satan says, I will, and the Father throws him down to Sheol. Jesus says, not my will, and where is Jesus right now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. You descend into the power of God. You don't ascend. And it's counter contrary to how, or countercultural to, to how the world operates. And if we don't wrap our minds around this, then what happens is we turn up to church, we live our lives, we go through the motions, but we actually never touch the power of God and where God actually wants us to be in our faith and in our walk with Him. You see, the the, the problem that compounds this is that from birth, we are taught to be self-reliant. I mean, we celebrate when a child learns independence and for good reason. It's good when a child starts to learn to walk. It's very good when a child starts to learn how to feed oneself. These are all good things and we celebrate them and, and we love to see our children taking personal responsibility for some things in their life. The only problem is when we enter the kingdom of God, we have to unlearn our independence. And we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to make something happen in the kingdom of God because we're learnt to be self-reliant and we're learnt to be independent. And then you come to the kingdom of God and you realise that dependence on God is actually the key to accessing His power. Not independence and not self-reliance. I remember being 14 years of age, hiking in the Yarra Valley Ranges with an experienced group of bushwalkers and hikers and they had their map and their compass and we were at the youth ministry and we're walking up there 21k into a 28k hike and it's getting on dusk, there's rain and thunder and lightning and it's, and it's looking like we're going to spend the night in, in the Yarra Valley Ranges and I was scared that drop bears were going to come and suck my head off and, and, and it's getting real bad, right? And so there we are and, and, and I had a deja vu moment. I after about 20 minutes, I come back to a tree and I'm like, I've seen that tree before. And then about 20 minutes later, we come back and we've seen that tree before. 90 minutes, we were lost on the top of some random crazy mountain in the middle of the Yarra Valley Ranges. And right about there, someone said, oh, I think we're lost. I'm like, no, is that so? I could have told you that 90 minutes ago. And, 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 and then someone said, well, but we've checked the map and the compass. And they were holding tightly to the map and compass, thinking they had it all worked out until finally someone said, you know, why don't we pray? I'm like, brilliant idea. It'd be a good time to pray. Drop bears are coming. And so we started to pray and it was amazing how in two minutes of prayer, after 90 minutes of walking around lost with our map and compass, after two minutes of prayer, we found where we needed to get to and we got to our destination eventually. You know what? In life, some of us hold on to our map and our compass so tightly and we actually risk the intervention of God's power in our lives because we're so consumed with our map and compass that the culture and society says you need your education and you need the bank account and you need certain things. You need status. You need reputation. You need influence. You need these things that the map and that the society says we need and we hold so tightly to it. But actually what we're doing is we're getting further and further away from accessing the power of God in our lives. Is this speaking to anyone today? You see, if there was anyone who could have relied upon his map and compass, it was the Apostle Paul, rest assured. The Apostle Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. We know that because he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, in our culture, whether you get circumcised on the eighth day, the 80th day, or not at all, we don't care. But in that culture, it's like circumcised eighth day, you're the man. So he was like, he's like a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's the man. He's zealous for the law. He, he comes from good religious uh, uh, pedigree. He's educated. He at the feet of one of the greatest scholars of all time. If there was anyone who could have turned up to Corinth and aired his qualifications, his map and compass, his past pedigree, it was the Apostle Paul. 
But the Apostle Paul said this, I decided to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Why would someone who's got it all together come in weakness and fear and much trembling? It's because Paul learned something we've got to learn. God's strength is made perfect in human weakness. God's strength is not made perfect in human strength. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. So if you're here today and you've been called by God, welcome to the party. You're one of the foolish ones that God has called to confound the wisdom of the wise. That keeps us humble. That keeps us reliant. That keeps me dependent. Whenever I get a bit ahead of myself and and, and invited here and invited there, I just remind myself, He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. Your greatest victories won't be at your greatest points of your strength. Your greatest victories will be at your greatest points of dependence upon Jesus. That is where your strength is found. I remember 10 years ago, I spent $1,000 doing an inner vision profile, a leadership profile to learn some things about me and my leadership that apparently I didn't know. And I was a sucker. I brought into the thing and I sat down for two hours in front of a computer. I punched in the information they asked of me. That It spat out a bunch of information back. A consultant came and met with me and it was clear that things weren't going well in the first five minutes of the consultancy based upon my data because he pulled down his glasses and looked over them and peered over them at me and said, it's clear from your data that you have no technical skills whatsoever. And I'm thinking to myself, you mean to tell me that I paid you $1,000 to tell me something my wife tells me every single week and I have no technical skills whatsoever. I already know that and I had to fight feelings of hurting this guy, right? And so I'm there and then he says, but it's also clear from your data that you have enough passion to persuade a nation to go to war. And all of a sudden I thought money well spent. I love this guy. This guy's amazing. I I needed to hear that and be encouraged by that today. And so I learned in that whole uh, episode in my life, I could actually get caught up in, in what I don't have, or I could get give to God what I do have and trust God with what I don't have and fully rely upon God. And you know what I've seen? God's taken my passion for Jesus literally all over the world, not because I'm any good at anything, but because I've surrendered everything over to Him. And He, is, he comes and says, finally, someone who's willing to be completely and utterly dependent upon me, here you go, son. You're a silly thing, but here you go. Here's more. Here's more opportunity. Here's more blessing. Here's more favour because God will withhold nothing back from the person who is completely and utterly dependent upon Him. He won't withhold it. He'll always give you more. I learnt the master key to experiencing a power shift in life. It's called embrace your helplessness. Embrace the things that you feel utterly overcome by right now. Embrace those things that you feel totally broken by right now and say, God, you've got it all. I'm not trying to fight to make this work. I'm handing it all over to you and I'm surrendering. God literally wants you to come to a point of surrendering. You see, God's power is found at the point of your greatest inadequacy. Paul said the treasure of heaven is found in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us, so that no man may boast. If you want to access the treasure of heaven, it will always be found in a broken jar of clay. It will always find itself. Your greatest inadequacy should lead actually to your greatest intercession and dependence before God. If your greatest inadequacy leads you to your greatest insecurity, then that's not the point. God allows us to see our inadequacies to bring us to a point of intercession. And if we're not interceding, meaning prayer, if we're not being prayerful, then actually we're telling God, God, I'm all right all by myself. I don't need you. I'm, I'm, I'm got this covered. I can make life work without you until you hit a crisis. 
Then when we hit a crisis, we run to God and say, God, don't you care about me? I mean, where were you when I needed you? Where are you in this situation? And God is available in that situation, but he's not just committed to answering your prayers by miracles when you are in a crisis. He is a God who wants to walk with you and talk with you every single day in your life, which requires a lifestyle of dependent intercession. A lifestyle of intimacy, a lifestyle of relationship. And here's the thing about God I've learned. He will not force your will to release control. He he won't make you surrender. You have to be willing to surrender it. This is what I learned when I was pastoring years ago. You can't counsel disobedience and you can't medicate demons. That's a true word right there. You cannot counsel disobedience. If you want to be willfully disobedient, no matter how many counseling or pastoral sessions you have, you will not change if you don't want to change. And pastors and leaders all over the place get burnt out trying to help people change who don't want to change, who don't want to surrender. And people who want that demonic stronghold to stay in their life and say, how would ever someone want that? Well, sometimes what you've got to understand is that people actually enjoy their sin. And sin enjoyed and tolerated for too long becomes a stronghold. And doesn't matter how much medication or doctor appointments you go to, you cannot medicate that which is fundamentally a spiritual issue. And we do all sorts of things to try and, and compensate for the struggles and challenges that we have in our life. But what we don't realize is it simply comes back to our willingness to surrender it all and let God have complete control. You want a key to de-stress your life? Stop being the master of your own destiny. I didn't plan to say that, but God's prophesying to someone in this room. Stop trying to control the outcome. Stop trying to make it all work. Some of us are so stressed. We're so anxious because we are trying to be the masters of the universe when actually God says, let me take care of that. Let me do that. Let me work that out in your life. You see, my insight into this principle was enhanced by my pet dog, Maverick. Uh, I, I resisted the temptation of the enemy to buy a pet dog uh, for my kids and my wife for many years. I love dogs, love cats, but our lives were full and I just didn't know how we are going to look after this thing. And so I was like, no, 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 for years until finally my wife and my kids' uh, pleadings, prayers and intercessions were answered by Jesus and, and my heart was moved and I went to my wife and I said, honey, uh, go and get a dog. Well, she didn't just go and get any dog. She went and got a distant relative of Tyrannosaurus Rex. And so German Shepherd, and then we prophetically named it Maverick. Be careful what you name your dogs, all right? It has a prophetic declaration over it. And so this dog, just rebellious, can't teach it obedience. It's just crazy. It's now one year old, and it's bigger than any other person in the household. And at least three times a week, we look at the backyard. It looks like a battle scene out of Gallipoli. And we're like, God, what have we done? Uh, what, what did I do to deserve this? And, and, and we're there in that moment, but we learned this thing. If we're going to teach this dog, I mean, we paid money, we brought dog whisperers in, we did everything. And if we're going to teach this dog obedience, if we're going to teach this dog to surrender to its master, we've learned we've got to exhaust it. Bring it to the end of itself. Is there any dog owners there with me? I understand what I'm talking. You can feel my pain, right? So... So we just decided, you know, we're going to run this thing into the ground. Yep, we're going to run this dog to the point where this dog begins to understand that mummy and daddy are mummy and daddy and because this dog wants to be the alpha male in the family, right, all the time. But so my wife's getting really fit right now, twice a day, running with the dog. And, and it's a bit of a joke. But, but um, uh, we, we, we've learned that until we bring this dog to the end of itself, at least in those early days, now he's getting better, in those early days we had to exhaust it and sometimes that's just like you and I have you ever felt like that you're having a deja vu experience with an issue in your life where you keep on going around the mountain or is that just me the unholy unspiritual one in the room you go around the mountain once you don't learn the lesson do you realize you're going back around the mountain if you don't learn that lesson 
And you're going to continue to go around that mountain until you learn what it is that God wants you to learn. And sometimes we don't learn to surrender until we are absolutely at the end of ourselves. Until we are absolutely exhausted. And I want to encourage you, save yourself a lot of heartache. Save yourself a lot of pain. Just surrender now. Just surrender now. If you ever feel like God is trying to kill you, it's because He is. He really is. And I'm not the one who's saying this. The Bible says this. The Bible tells us in John 12, 24, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce any fruit. A harvest doesn't come just because you're still alive and sow a lot of seed. A harvest comes in the kingdom, in the spirit, as you die in your flesh to yourself and come alive to the things of the spirit. So if you want a harvest of righteousness, if you want great fruit produced through your life, then you've got to allow God to kill off that flesh in you. He's trying to teach you how to live by the Spirit, not how to live by the flesh. And one of the challenges of life is actually journeying and learning to be led by our spirit man, not by our flesh man. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. It contrasts in Galatians 5 that with the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. It's asking us that if you're going to live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, that the flesh in us has to gradually die. And that only comes willfully through an act of surrender. Until we come to the end of ourselves, we will not experience a power shift from what we can do to what God can do. I believe that God is wanting to bring a power shift into this church from what you can do in your strength to what God can do. That's why in verse 5, Paul wanted the Corinthians' faith to rest in God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. I've learned man's wisdom can produce a lot of good things. Man's wisdom can build a great marriage. Man's wisdom can build a great church. True story. Man's wisdom can build a great business. Man's wisdom can produce a lot of things that are good and, and add value to society and to our lives. The only problem is God's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And we try and hide the foolish things in our lives because of potential shame and embarrassment. But God actually says, give me those foolish things. I'll redeem them, make something beautiful out of them. I was um, preaching in uh, Malaysia last year and uh, I was preaching to about 500 leaders and um, I I was literally five minutes into my message, final night and sort of the big finale and uh, I got five minutes into the message and I started to prophesy about there being uh, a move of God's power in the room and something's about to break out. I just felt it in my spirit. And so I started to speak this out and declare this out. Well, literally, less than a minute later, the loudest thunder and lightning I've ever heard in my life literally hit the roof of that building. And there was a power shift, all right. There was a power surge in the whole facility. And so every light went out, the microphone went out, and, and the only lights that were on, this is at night, was the exit signs to leave the building. Everything, we were in darkness, 500 litres. I tried to continue with my message. It was clear this wasn't going to happen. This wasn't going anywhere. I'm like, God, what do we do? And everyone's looking at me like, you just prophesied a move of God's power and thunder had just hit the building. And so they're looking at me like, this is a man of God. And I'm looking at God like, what are you doing? And and I'm thinking, all right, we're going to capitalize on the situation. I said, if you want this power that I'm speaking about now, get out of your seat. All 500 people just rushed down the front and they're all like, in Jesus' name, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. And, and, and we started to prophesy. I prophesied literally, literally true for three and a half hours over every single one of those 500 leaders. I, I, if I could repeat it, I would. But it was a sovereign move of God where God was showing off on my behalf I saw the the power uh, surge as an obstacle. God saw it as an opportunity to actually take over and show off on my behalf. And I got back to my room and I said, God, what was that about? He said, I just wanted to show off. He said, I was sick of you talking. I just wanted to take over and, and, and actually make you look good. If you surrender, God will make you look better than what you actually are. 
But it comes back to your willingness to let God be God and you do what God has simply called you to do. God never called us because of what we can do for him. It's not like the kingdom of God is like the NBA or the AFL draft and God comes to the outstanding rookie or the potential talent and says, oh, you're such an amazing worship leader. You're such an amazing preacher. You're such an amazing evangelist, artist, musician. I really need you on my team. Here's the contract. Sign on the bottom line. Here's how much you're going to receive as a reward. God doesn't need us on his team. He calls us because of what he wants to do through us. But the more that we are stubborn and self-reliant and independent and caught up in our map and compass, the less he can move through us because he's like, you're in the way. What I want is for you to get out of the way so that I can have my say. And I can do what it is that I'm wanting to do through you. I've learned God without man is still God. But man without God is nothing. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. When, the quicker we come to that revelation, the quicker your dependence upon God, it'll escalate the fruit of your life. It'll just increase. Because it won't be any more about my name, my title, this, did, did anyone notice me? It won't be anything about that. It'll be simply about, I'm just living for Him. I just want to worship Him. I want to live for Him. I want to make a difference in people's lives. I just... When you get caught up in him, all that other fleshy stuff, it just falls away. And I feel like the enemy at times has tried to undermine the, 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 the work of God in this house through fleshy stuff that God is just trying to get out and eliminate. And, and if you want to be a part of the move of God in this house and where God's taking you and what God's wanting to do through this place, just, just lay on the altar. Don't, don't be, be a, the problem with living sacrifices, you've heard it before as we crawl off the altar, right? But just lay there, let God kill you, let God do what he needs to do in you and then say, God, come use me however you want to use me. What is what could be stopping the forward momentum of your life is actually got nothing to do with God and everything to do with you and me. It's called self-sabotage. That's not to condemn you. That's meant to bring you to a place of freedom and liberty where you say, God, I can't do this. I need you to do this in me. You know, for a power shift to be sustained, I've learned that you've really got to understand the significance and importance of your personal testimony. I believe that God is coming in this hour and he's saying to the church, you need to reclaim, you need to lay hold of your testimonies. The moments, the encounters, the significant events where God moved in your life in the past that maybe you've forgotten, maybe you've let go of, but now you need to pick back up. And if you haven't had a testimony in a while, Maybe borrow someone else's until you get your own, but go seeking after your own testimony. Because the Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You are literally overcoming by the blood of Jesus and your testimony. And when you've lost your testimony, when, you're, when your faith dries up, it's generally because your testimonies have dried up. How do I know that? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. This Bible, this book, this Word of God is filled with people's testimonies, their encounters. And then the letters or the epistles are the theological uh, application or implications as a result of those testimonies and those encounters. So as your testimonies grow, your faith grows. When your testimonies uh, uh, go away, your faith lessens and weakens. I was preaching at a church in Sydney and the pastor came up to me after the service and he said, Hey, Corey, I want to introduce you to a young man and uh, a young believer, been in the church about a year. And I walk up to this guy and the pastor says to this young guy, Hey, tell Corey... Uh, the story of your boss. And so he starts to talk about his boss and he says, I was working in this uh, uh, business and uh, it was in the market, secular marketplace and no one there was Christian except me. He said, I started to witness 
and evangelize uh, the customers, the, the staff, and my boss. And the boss took me into the office and said, um, what you do on your time is what you do, but when you're here working, you are not allowed to talk about Jesus to the customers, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus to the staff, and you're not allowed to talk about Jesus to me. And, uh, and so he was a bit discouraged and he was learning wisdom about when to speak and when not to speak and when to pray. And, when. and so he goes home and he starts to pray for his boss. And he begins to pray. And he just felt like the Lord was saying, just pray for your boss, pray for your boss. So several weeks go by until finally he gets into work early one morning and he hears these muffled cries coming out of the boss's office. He goes and knocks on the door and walks into the boss's office and here is his boss sobbing at her desk. He says, what's wrong? And she was eight months pregnant at the time and she confesses that she's just went for the last 48 hours, had scans done on her beautiful baby and the baby has died within her womb. There's no heartbeat. And this young guy is looking at his boss. He's like, what do I do? And he just feels to pray for her. So he says to the boss, I know you've told me not to talk to you about Jesus, but would it be okay with you if I prayed for you? She said, yes, I would like that. It is amazing how open people are to prayer when their backs are up against the wall and they're facing a crisis. And so he begins to pray. Now, he, he tells me how he prayed, um, which I don't necessarily recommend, but, but he launches into it. He doesn't know, he hasn't been around church long enough to know church protocol, where to put hands, all that sort of thing. So he just puts a hand right in the womb there, right in the belly. I don't recommend you do that. But he, he does that, right? I'm like, whoa, full on. So he puts a hand on the belly and he just starts to call this baby back to life. True story. In Jesus, he doesn't pray, oh God, comfort her in her affliction. And No, he just goes, God, and he starts to yell, Jesus, and he starts to call this baby back to life. Bring the heartbeat back. Let the baby live again. And he just starts going for it. And I'm like, wow. He comes in the next day. And the boss walks in at lunchtime after more tests that day to confirm what had already been confirmed a few days before. And the boss walks in with the biggest smile on her face he's ever seen. And she grabs him and says, come into the office. And she says, you're not going to believe this. And he says, I probably will. And, it, and she said, the doctors have retested. They've done all the scans. They don't understand it. They can't explain it. But the heartbeat has returned to the baby. The baby has come back to life. That guy talked to her about Jesus. He led her to the Lord. And she said to him before that happened, she said, anytime you want to talk to the customers about Jesus and anytime you want to talk to the staff about Jesus and anytime you want to talk to me about Jesus, you go right ahead. And that lady got miraculously saved and connected into that church that I was preaching at. You know what's happened in this room right now? As I've shared someone's testimony, faith has risen in your heart. We were singing about it, let faith rise, let faith rise. Well, when you hear a te testimony, when you lay hold of your testimonies, what's happening is it's building faith in you to believe for your own miracle to believe for your own breakthrough, to believe for your own testimony. I could be here for the next two hours telling you story after story of people's lives being turned around by the miraculous power of God. But you know what? God now wants us to go and get our own stories. He wants us to start to live this book, not simply read this book. Jesus said, greater works than these will you do. It's not enough to read about the greater works. I want to move in the greater works. I want the greater works flowing through my life, flowing through this church. And I've come here to say, to declare over you a power shift where you move from what you can do to what God can do. And I just feel like God is saying, you know what? If you've allowed yourself to become a little bit cynical, if you've allowed yourself to become a little bit caught up in, in, in the issue, in the problem, and, and you are holding God off at arm's length. You're sort of stiff-arming God. You know what? Just let that go today. Just surrender it today. There wouldn't be one person in this room who wouldn't want an intervention of God's power in their life. Every single person in this room wants to see the power of God move in their life. I mean, Pastor Andrew was saying it before. We all need something. We all need a breakthrough. But how many of us would be willing to surrender everything? To let our stubbornness go. 
to let our independence and our self-reliance go to say, God, whatever, I'm yours. You come and do whatever it is you want to do. That is where the power of God is found. It's found at the end of our stubbornness. And here in this room today, I, I would like to pray and I, I'd just like us to worship just for a moment. And, uh, and we're just going to take just a couple of minutes just to pray because I really believe the degree to which you're surrendered is the degree to which you're empowered. And, and, and so today, I'm going to invite you, could we just stand together? And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And what, what we're going to do, I just wonder if you could just lead us in worship, just to begin with. Um, we're just going to just briefly sing a song. I'm going to hand the mic back to uh, Pastor Andrew in a moment. And then I'm just going to come up and we're going to just, I'm going to pray for you. Um, corporately, maybe th- there might be a few individuals that um, God just speaks to me about. But we're just going to pray. I'm going to pray for people who feel like they're coming to the end of themselves. So come on, let's just worship for a few moments. Let's just lift up our voices, lift up our hands, lift up our hearts. Allow the Spirit of God to just come and speak. Let faith arise. Despite what I see, Lord, I believe. Belief, I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel, let faith arise. Let faith arise. For my champion's not dead, he is alive. He already knows my every need. Surely he will come and rescue me. God of miracles. God of miracles come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. See the kingdom come. I lift my eyes. The battle has been won. My God is faithful. Every single word he said is true. Oh God, a miracle's come. God of miracles come, we need your supernatural love to break through, nothing's impossible, you're the God of miracles, this world is shaking, this world is shaking, but you cannot be shaken. My heart is breaking, but I'm not broken. Your love is fearless. Help me to be courageous too. Oh, there's nothing impossible. This world, this world is shaking, but you cannot be shaken. My heart is breaking, but I'm not broken. Your love is feeling. Help me to be courageous too. Oh, there's nothing impossible for the God of miracles.
miracles come we need your supernatural love to break through nothing's impossible you're the God so this is what we're about to do we're going to open the altar in a moment but there is something that I want to do first because I'm mindful as people are being prayed for and as that ministry time um, goes ahead that some people may need to leave. Now for me and for Mel and for the leaders of our church, Corey and his family are part of our family. Yeah, And we've been talking about family of late and the way that we look after and care for each other. Uh, and when he comes, he doesn't come to us, for me anyway, as a guest speaker, as guest ministry. He comes because he's family and he's journeying with us and he sees where we're at as a church and he speaks into that. And so I want us to be a blessing. And I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward and to very quickly take up an offering so we can sow into His ministry, into His family as a church family. Amen. So if some, some of the things that He said today, if that's for you, then I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you're wanting a touch, a fresh encounter, a new testimony, then you come forward. And for now, if our ushers are here, we're just going to take up an offering so we can sow that back into Corey's ministry. Amen. Is that okay? Is it okay for a family to bless family? Amen. The team are going to keep singing. And if you've given, if you've had your opportunity to give and you want to get prayer, you want, you would love Him to speak over your life, then start coming forward. If you've had your chance to give and you want prayer, come forward. Come to the front now. And we're going to worship together. And we're going to pray together. And we're going to bless together. We're going to honour together. Amen. And we're going to step into a new area of faith together in Jesus' name. Let's just worship again. Let's just worship. Jesus, Jesus. God, miracles come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. You're the God of miracles. Come on, let's worship. Let's lift our hands. Miracles come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Come on, let's worship. Oh, God of miracles, come. We need your supernatural natural love to break through nothing's impossible you're the God of miracles nothing's impossible nothing's impossible you're the God of miracles nothing, nothing's impossible Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Just to invite you to close your eyes. And I invite you just to lift your hands as like a sign of surrender. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that we need a power shift from what we can do to what you can do. And Father, right now in Jesus' name, God, I ask that you would help us to learn the lessons that, Lord, you've been trying to teach us, not to hurt us, not to punish us, not to condemn us, but to bring us into a place of freedom and liberty. Father, I just pray today that, Lord, where we've been stubborn, where we've been rebellious, independent in our attitudes, in our approach to life, in our relationship with you, God, would you forgive us today of that? Would you heal our hearts? Would you come and restore the years that have been lost through our own self-sabotage, Father? 
I just feel like there are people here who feel regret. There's regret in your hearts because you haven't seen the things that that you believe for or that have been uh, given to you as promises. And, And due to your own actions or your own choices or your own confession, you found yourself... Uh, in this place of difficulty and challenge and pain. And today, I just feel like God is saying, I am cutting off the old to bring in the new. I'm cutting off of those things. I'm I'm giving you like a, a, a new confession, a new mouth, a new spirit, a new heart. I, I'm, I'm, it's almost like he came to, to, to the Gentiles and said, I'm, I'm circumcising your heart. I'm circumcising your heart. It's not about what's on the outward. It's about your heart. It's about your spirit. I'm I'm cutting some things off of you that you don't need. And I feel like as a church, you've been going through a season where, you know, some some things are being cut off of you. And, And some people may have been cut off and some stuff has been cut off from your world. And it's been a cutting off process and a cutting off period. But I want to say to you today that that God doesn't cut to punish you. God's cutbacks are not setbacks. He's setting you up for a comeback in Jesus' Name. He is working all things together for your good and His glory. You've got to trust Him in the cutting process. Father, I just really pray right now where some of us have made conclusions about our life, about church, about our walk with You, that we've put a full stop where You've simply put a comma. God, we partner with You in the conversation today. Continue to finish the good work that You've started in us. In Jesus' precious Name. In Jesus' precious Name. Father, today I just declare a power shift over this church. I declare a power shift over every home. I declare a power shift over every business. I declare a power shift, Father, right now. Let there be a power shift. Let the power get turned on. Supernatural kingdom power as we come into a place of complete surrender and complete dependence on You in Jesus' Name. Come on, let's sing again. Let's just sing one more time.